Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. I wanted to take a moment to tell you guys about my favorite baby food brand. So I actually don't buy a lot of baby food and I don't use it a lot, but I do like to have some baby food, some pouches on hand just for those moments where I feel like I need something convenient or I need to just throw something in my diaper bag and go. So my favorite baby food brand and really the only one we use now is Serenity Kids. The reason that I love Serenity Kids so much is because they focus on nutrient-dense foods such as pasture-raised and grass-fed meat and organic vegetables. So I know that the quality is amazing and I feel safe and confident feeding it to my baby. You can go to myserenitykids.com and use the code TaylorKulik15 at checkout to save 15% off your order. Hi, everyone. Welcome. I'm so excited. Today, we have Greta Eskridge joining us. Um, Greta is mom to four, and she's a wife of 23 years. She's passionate about creating connection, protecting kids, and chasing adventure. She loves nature, books, and coffee. Greta is a speaker and author of the book, Adventuring Together, How to Create Connections and Making Lasting Memories with Your Kids. Her second book releases next spring. Greta, thank you so much for being here with us. Would you mind just telling us a little bit more about yourself and how you got started um, talking about and educating people about protecting our kids and pornography? Yes, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and I'm so grateful that you wanna have this conversation because it's so important. Um, Let's see, a few other things that aren't in my bio. I homeschool all four of my kids and I have from the beginning. Um, my oldest is 17 now, and I have a 15-year-old. Those are my first two. They're boys, and then my daughter's 13, and my youngest is another son, and he's nine. So um, I have entered a new stage of parenting. I'm deep in the teen years, I feel like, but still quite a ways to go. So um, I love it. And before I was a homeschool mom, I was a high school teacher and public high school and um i love teens so being a mom of teenagers hasn't been scary to me because i just love being with them i think they're awesome Um, and that's part of the reason why i began um, to care so much about protecting kids from pornography because when i was a high school teacher i was really young Um, i would often get mistaken for a student and um, i was pretty naive and um I had grown up in a a home that was really beautifully sheltered and my parents had, I like to say, raised me in a really safe and gorgeous, wonderful bubble. But when I got into the real world, um, I learned that there were some things that were 
I'm pretty dark out there. And one of those things was pornography. And I even encountered soft porn in my classroom with some of my ninth grade students, boys who had pictures in their binders. And I was like, what in the world is happening right now? How do you carry this around? And, and not feel any remorse or anything. What? And, and I realized I had so much to learn. And that was sort of a, a spark to me to think ahead. How am I going to address this when I have my own kids? What will I do? And um, how can I help them? Because as I talked to those young boys in my, my class, I realized nobody had ever said to them um, why pornography wasn't good for them why um, objectification of women was not something that was um, going to help them or women. And, and nobody had talked to them about it. So I was like, well, that's where I have to start is it has to become a conversation in our family. And so even before I had kids, I realized that was something that I wanted to address. And then once we had kids and they've been growing up, in the world that is now saturated with screens and technology and easy access to pornography it's become more and more important to me to protect my own kids but now also to help protect other kids so that's why i'm here that's amazing. Well, we're so grateful that you're here. I know I'm so grateful that you're here and I've, I've heard you speak on other people's Instagram accounts. And I think the education and awareness that you're spreading is so important. Could, would you mind just kind of starting from the beginning and giving us a basic understanding of, you know, what is the issue? Like, do, do we really live in a pornified culture? Why has that happened? And why is that a problem? Because I think, you know, there might be some listeners that don't really fully understand the potential harmful effects of porn. Okay. <laughs> yes, there's so loaded question. There. Yes, it's it's great. I love it. You're getting right to the heart of the matter. Well, I like to um, I like for people to understand that pornography impacts the consumer on multiple levels. It impacts them on an emotional, um, mental, spiritual, and even a physical level. So I'll quickly give examples from all three of those because I think it is really important for people to understand how it impacts the, the person who's consuming it. So we're not even talking about the people who are creating it and all of that. We're just gonna talk about the person who consumes porn and what it does to them. Um, on an emotional or a spiritual level, level um, there starts to become a um, just a withdrawal from um, real life connection, real life relationships, because porn becomes this quick and easy substitute. And, and that's kind of the lie that porn offers is it says, oh, you can have intimacy, you can have connection, but really you can't because it's just a screen. There's no real life connection. And then what happens is the, the, um, the shame and the guilt and those feelings intensify. And then the consumer begins to withdraw from real life relationships because of the feelings that they're doing something that they know is not good for them. Um, and so it also impacts emotionally and spiritually the way they interact with other people because that um, viewing of other humans as a person that is no longer really a person, but an object to be used and even abused for their pleasure, it impacts the way you see real life people. And um, that is not something anybody wants to have, right? Um, so that's an emotional and spiritual impact. Um, there's a book that I read recently, it's called 
Raising Boys Who Respect Girls. And in the book, the author quotes a study where he says that he, um, that, that he was speaking to young men, college-aged men who considered themselves respecters of women. And one of the things that they said, like, I, I can't remember the exact number. I'll get it so you can put it in your show notes. Awesome. But a, a startling percentage of these young men who call themselves respecters of women said that they would be willing to rape a woman if they knew they wouldn't get caught. And, and that's what I mean by the intense emotional and spiritual and even mental impact pornography can have on a, a consumer because they stop viewing a person as a person. There's no respecting and celebrating of, of a human being. Instead, it's just this image on a screen that is being abused. You're observing it, you're partaking in it. And in, um, and in a sort of absent way, you're actually partaking in the abuse as well. And so those are just some examples of the negative effects emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Um, on a physical level, one of the impacts that pornography can have is it can actually cause erectile dysfunction in young men. In fact, for the first time in history, we are seeing young men who are struggling with erectile dysfunction, which you think, well, that's been around for a long time, but erectile dysfunction has traditionally been something that's impacted older men. And it's because of a physical um, medical reason, right? It, it's not because they're 20 years old and they've observed so much porn that they can no longer be aroused by a real life person. They can only be aroused by an image on the screen. And, and it's actually being considered an epidemic because it's happening at such a, a large rate. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one example of the physical impact porn can have on the body of a person who's consuming um, pornography. And um, I have so many more, but we need to keep, we need to keep yeah. talking about other things. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thank you for sharing. It's not great, but thank you yeah. for sharing that. I think that's such important information for everybody to be aware of, but especially parents, because if we can imagine, if we know that pornography can have this impact on anybody, including adults, yes. I can only imagine how much worse those effects can be on children who yeah. are not, don't have developed, yeah. fully developed brains. Yes. That is a really important point. And, and the thing is, is that because, um, adolescents are still developing and, and, um, their brains are still so malleable, the, the addictive qualities of pornography, um, are incredibly powerful for that young developing brain. I mean, pornography is, is considered to be as addictive, um, as, as something like um, cocaine, because it releases that dopamine hit that feels good. And so then your brain and your body say, oh, I want more. And it becomes incredibly difficult to, um, to turn away from it. So I don't say that to scare parents. I say it like you said, for parents to know this is a serious issue and we want to help our kids not begin um, to use pornography so that they don't have to deal with the um, myriad of negative effects. Absolutely. So Greta, why do you believe that connection is so important in parenting and also for pr protecting our kids from pornography? Um, I love the idea of giving our kids something to see and um, something that is true, like real life connection, real life relationship to hold up against 
the lies that pornography offers, which, like I said before, pornography offers this idea of connection. A lot of times people choose pornography because they are lonely or they are longing for relationship, but it's not a true relationship. It's not true connection. So if we pour into our children and we show them what real relationship is like, what real connection and real intimacy is like by pursuing them and by spending um, quality time with them, by choosing to connect with them on um, multiple levels, then they will be able to more easily discern, oh, what pornography is offering me isn't real and I'm going to choose the good. Because I think as parents, it's, it's really easy for us to want to just say, I'm gonna put a filter in a phone, I'm gonna put something up on, um, you know, to block this, this bad stuff on their screens. And I'm gonna say, don't look at porn, it's bad. And then we leave it at that. But we have to offer them alternatives. We have to offer them something good and something better to choose instead. We also have to recognize that when they are old enough to leave our house, they can they can ditch those those um, filters and those parental controls. Right. So we have to begin to to give them um, the ability to recognize the negatives of pornography and the lies that it has so that we can, um, so that they can choose something good when they're on their own. I love that. I think that's so important because like you said, we can't control everything that our child is exposed to. We can do the best we can, but at, right. at the end of the day, we have to be having these discussions with them and, and also, also talking about it with them, yeah. not just ignoring it and mm -hmm. pretending that it doesn't exist because that's right. not really helpful to them. Can you share some practical tips for helping our kids react to porn exposure as safely as possible? Sure. I love to tell parents that they need to give their kids a porn plan, which I know <laughs> sounds so weird. And everyone's like, what a porn plan. Uh, but I mostly call it that because they know they'll remember. Um, mm -hmm. And really that is what you have to have. They have to have a plan for how they'll respond. I mean, it's just like you tell your kids what to do if they get lost. Like if they get separated from you, you tell them, here's what you need to do. They have a plan, right? Um, and it's the same idea. You're doing it for their safety. So um, the first thing you have to do in your, uh, your plan is you have to tell them what pornography is. Even if they're little, um, I suggest that you start talking to your kids um, by about the age of six. And that's because by the age of six, most kids are spending time on screens, um, especially in the past year. I mean, how many kids, even kindergartners, are on screens for a great portion of the day, right? So they need to know what pornography is. Um, if they're little and they've never, they they have no concept of it, um, you give them a most basic and simple definition. Something as simple as there's this thing called pornography. It's bad for your brain and it's bad for your body and it's bad for your heart. And so I want to keep you safe from it. Pornography is images or pictures of people with uh, no clothes on showing all their privates. And we don't show our privates to strangers and to everybody. So we're not going to look at other people's privates either. And, and so it's a simple, simple definition like that is great for your little ones. If your kids are older and they've already encountered pornography or they know what it is, you can adjust your definition according to their developmental um, age, right? But you need to tell them what it is, first of all. Secondly, you need to let them know where they might encounter it so that they're not surprised when it happens because it's not just going to be on the screen. It could be something like they see a pop-up ad and they click on it and 
oh, wow, this is not what I was expecting. Or they do a Google search or they can find it in a book from the library. I mean, it could be somebody on their team at school for baseball or whatever shows them on the phone. So just give them a few examples. This is where you could run into it. So that when it, like I said, when it happens, they're not paralyzed. Like, wait, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting this and they don't know what to do. Um, preparation is key. And then the third thing you'll do in your plan is you will um, tell them how to respond when they see it. So they can turn the phone over, close the laptop, um, physically walk away from the person who shows them or is talking to them. Like give them like real life action to take, um, to say, I don't wanna look at that if a person's trying to show them, um, give them language to use. Those things are all really helpful. They're empowering for your kid. And um, talking about it beforehand is so helpful. It's just like when you're on a plane and um, they tell you what to do if there's an emergency because they want you to have the idea ahead of time. And um, you'll still be <laughs> frantic or scared when it happens, but at least you'll have some information of how to deal with it, right? And then um, the last thing that you wanna do is you want them to talk to you. So let them know you will not be in trouble if you see pornography. I am not gonna be angry with you. I want you to tell me so that I can help you deal with it. Um, someone told me once the way she explained it to her kids was to say, um, turn, like, turn it over <laughs> um, and talk about it. So just like, if you wanna break it down real short for your little kids, like, just turn the phone over or the device over and then talk about it with an adult. And um, you can even give them a list of trusted adults they could talk to if you weren't available. So those are just um, really practical things you can do with your kids. And I believe that they will make an immediate um, impact on your kids' safety because they'll be able to respond without you know, um, freaking out. They'll be a little more prepared. Yeah, that's so helpful. And I think you may have recommended this book, Greta, um, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures for yes. younger kids. And it yes. talks a lot about this. That's a good one for, I think there's like a junior and then mm -hmm. one for olders. Yeah. Um, so I have the junior and it's a great way to start this conversation with your kids. Yeah. Um, but I love how you really emphasize, you know, talking about it with them, but also letting them know if you do see porn, you, or you do see these pictures, you're not in trouble. We're yeah. not mad at you. You're not yeah. a bad kid. So I think exactly. that's important. And, and it kind of lends itself to this other conversation of being open in your home about mm -hmm. sex and yeah. private parts and naming our private parts and all of those yeah. things, because if we're embarrassed or mm -hmm. shy or ashamed mm -hmm. to talk about these things with our children, then inevitably they're going to be exposed to it and they're going to feel shame and they're not, they're going to feel embarrassed talking to us about it because they've yes. been maybe made to feel like it should be this shameful topic. Um, and so, yeah, do you have any other tips for how we can cultivate a healthy sexual culture in our home? Yeah. Um, I love I love that you brought that up and you made the connection because if we start even before we tell tell our kids about pornography cultivating this healthy sexual culture with just the language we use in our home it goes a long way in protecting our kids from pornography as well and that's something you can start when your kids are really little just by using um, like i said language that is positive so we decided when our kids are, were really young that we would teach them the real words for all their body parts that we weren't going to have made up names for their sexualized body parts or sexual body parts because um 
no parent is like thinking, oh, I'm going to say an elbow is an elbow, a belly button is a belly button, but um, a penis is a wee wee, like, mm -hmm. because I don't want to say the real word to my kid uh, because I'm ashamed. But when we, when we do that, we are inadvertently attaching shame to those body parts because we don't make up names for anything else. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if we just have this um, posture of positivity and every part of your body is amazing, it has a purpose, it's designed, it's the most, your body is the most incredibly designed thing in the world. And if we approach them and their bodies and our own bodies in that way, it helps them understand that bodies are worthy of respect. They're worthy of protection. And we want to honor our bodies and we want to honor other people's bodies, every part of them. And so if you begin with that kind of language and that kind of posture, it really does help when you begin the conversation about pornography, that pornography isn't honoring or respecting um, other people's bodies or even your own. And of um, it helps them see that there's a difference in the way we approach our own bodies and other people's bodies and, and that we want to respect them and want to celebrate them. Pornography doesn't do that. And of course, they're going to be older when you have um, that depth of conversation, but you've paved the way to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that is so true. And, you know, it, it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't always have to be this. It's not going to be this really in-depth conversation with our littles who are, you know, two and three, but we can start from an early age, naming body parts, not being ashamed to say the word vagina and the word penis right. and um, vulva even, you know, there's a, yeah. there's our, our girls, our boys too, but girls need to know there's a difference between their vulva and their vagina because, yeah. you know, we're talking about pornography right now, but I think it's a bigger conversation and it's yeah. all kind of related, protecting our kids from sexual mm -hmm. predators in general. And yeah. when we give them the power to name their body parts, first of all, that will dissuade sexual predators because mm -hmm. when they see that a child can identify their body parts, they know that they live in a home, that they're not afraid to talk about that sort yes. of thing. Um, but also if something... God forbid does happen, they have the power to name exactly what happened, where they were touched, because there is a yeah. difference between yeah. the vagina and the vulva. Um, yeah. so that, that was a little side sidebar there, but what I, I was it. saying, yeah, what I was saying was going to say was that we can also begin this discussion of bodily autonomy and consent yeah. from an early age. And it doesn't even have to be related to sex no. early on. It can just be related to, yeah. can I give you a hug? No, mm -hmm. that's okay. Can I give you a kiss? And so not forcing our children yeah. um, to do these things that maybe they're feeling uncomfortable with and letting them know that they do have a voice and that they do have a say over what happens with their bodies and who mm -hmm. touches their bodies. Yeah. Um, and I think, I know this is a hard conversation for some people because I think it's been so ingrained in a lot of us from our childhoods that you know, it's disrespectful to not let grandma touch, uh, hug you or kiss you. Um, and I think we really have to have this conversation to change that idea because it's not yeah. disrespectful, just like it's not disrespectful to say no to somebody who wants to touch your vagina, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's not disrespectful. And so it's not disrespectful to say, no, I don't want to hug from you right now. Um, and so giving our children the power to communicate those preferences and say no is part of this bigger conversation. Um, and yeah, I, I just lost my train of thought. I was going to say something else. Oh, oh, that's what I was going to say. I, in our home, we also use the term, the phrase a lot, 
please respect my body, please respect mm. his body. Yeah. Um, that's not respectful to my body. Mm. And so that is just another way to early on start this conversation without making it so in depth and feel so big for our yeah. little children. Yeah, I think that that's one of the biggest um, pushbacks I get from parents because they're like, well, my kid's only seven. How do I talk to him about porn? I don't want to introduce that idea to him. But you need to understand that for your your young child, um, they don't they don't even know what pornography is. They, they have no idea that that it's connected to sex. And at that young of an age, you don't make that connection for them. You don't even use the word sex because that's not what they need to know at that age, you know, I would say under 11, that doesn't need to be part of your conversation about pornography. You also need to recognize that they don't carry the weight and the baggage that we adults carry with pornography, whether that's um, just the, the discomfort and the awkwardness that we might feel or personal shame or trauma um, or hurt that has happened to us because of pornography or some sort of other sexual dysfunction in our lives they don't carry that. And so we're not saddling them with this heavy weight by telling them about it. Um, in fact, we are, are protecting them from um, carrying more of that weight by giving them the ability to protect themselves. And so um, I really want parents to understand if your kids are young, like I said, under 11, um, I really think that you can have these conversations in a way that um, is just about respect it's about protection. It's about um, celebrating their own body and celebrating others. And it's about keeping them safe. It's not about this heavy, um, difficult conversation. As your kids get older, you're going to have to cover some things that are going to feel a lot more uncomfortable because they're growing up in, in, like you said earlier, a pornified culture, a really sexualized world where they're exposed to things that honestly, I didn't know about um, until I was much older. And there are 12, 13 and 14 year olds that have a lot of knowledge because the world that they're growing up in. And so you are going to have to have more um, heavy conversations. But again, you, you've created this, this culture in your home of openness and respect and um, a, a place where there is safe safety so that you can have conversations that are challenging and nobody has to feel attacked. Nobody has to feel afraid. Um, they're going to feel a little uncomfortable because that's mm -hmm. natural, but it doesn't mean you just have to shut down and say, well, we can't talk anymore. Um, instead you create a culture that, um, is open so that you can have the conversation that grows as your child grows. Yeah. I love that. Do you have any tips for those parents of that are listening that have older children um, who maybe they are more understanding of some of these more complex topics and mm -hmm. or maybe even they're showing some interest in porn? What would you say to those parents to help kind of guide their conversations with their children? Well, I think there's a, a couple different approaches. If you are comfortable as a parent just saying, hey, um, these are some things going on in the world that, that I think you've probably heard about or know about, or maybe you have questions. We need to talk about it. And, and um, you can just sort of steer the conversation, um, maybe use like a recent news article, something that's happened that you can refer to. I do that a lot with my kids, um, something that, that is happening in current events. And like, let's talk about what's going on. Um, or if you're like, oh, that's too, 
that's too much. I can't take that on myself. I need more of a script. I need more of a guide. There's a really wonderful book. It's called talking to how to talk to your kids about pornography. And I think it's great for kids like 12 and up. And um, it's a non-sectarian book. So it approaches the idea of the dangers of pornography from that um, mental, um, emotional, and physical um, dangers and problems. So whatever, wherever you're at um, spiritually, uh, you can read this book with your kids and you can add things to it if you want to. But um, I love that it has a real science approach because I think at the, at, as a teen or preteens, you can read this book with them and talk about how porn impacts their brain. Um, you can talk about the addictive qualities. It covers in just short one page um, segments, a whole bunch of the different issues that are related to porn. So maybe you need to talk to your kids about the fact that porn is related to sex trafficking. Um, and you're like, I have no idea how to talk about that. But that's an important issue. If you have an older teen, they need to know that other people are being impacted in a grave way um, by pornography. You can just read that page with them and it gives you a script to talk about some of the harder issues with pornography. So I'll give you um, the info. And like I said, you can put that in your show notes and that can be a great resource for parents of older kids. That would be great. Perfect. Okay, Greta. So this is a big question, but, you know, talking about all of this and just knowing what our culture is like right now, you know, it, it seems almost like too much, like it's too overwhelming it almost seems inevitable that our children will be exposed to porn and, you know, maybe sexual predators online and being, you know, inundated with over-sexualized images. And so how do we steer our family down a different path than this path that seems inevitable, um, considering the day and age that we live in? Hmm. That's a great question. I think, um, one of the first and best things you can do is have that open communication. So like I said, uh, in our family, we talk about current events a lot, things that are happening and then how it impacts us and how we will respond. So I'm gonna give you a, a current example. This happened, um, I don't know, probably six or seven months ago. I saw an ad campaign from Kraft Mac and Cheese. Um, Kraft Mac and Cheese, their primary audience is kids, right? That's mm -hmm. their primary consumer. I mean, probably some of us have eaten the scrapes the bottom of the pan after <laughs> we've served it to our kids, but really we're, it's for kids. Mm -hmm. Well, they had an ad campaign that was, if you um, wanted to give your friend a free box of mac and cheese, you could um, take a picture of the box and use the hashtag send nudes and then they would send it to your friends. Well, of course, they're like, oh, we used, spelled it N-O-O-D-S, send nudes. Um, but that was not an accident. It was very intentional and extremely inappropriate. There is, there is not a joke to um, talk about kids sending nudes. It's actually can be considered child pornography. It's dangerous. It's against the law. Totally wrong. So I was like, well, this is a perfect opportunity to talk to my kids about how they'll respond if someone were to send them nudes or ask for nudes, even though they don't even have smartphones, but still the possibilities are out there. Kids know how to work around stuff. So this, this ad gave us an opportunity to talk about how they would respond 
or if anyone has ever asked for nudes, what they would do, why it's not okay, why it's dangerous. It was also an opportunity to talk about media literacy and how the media is trying to get them to think that pornography is no big deal. It's funny, it's a joke. Uh, the media wants to minimize and trivialize porn and to make us think that it's just funny, like it's a joke, it's silly. Even six-year-olds can send nudes. And, and so by having communication with one another and not being afraid to bring up these, um, these big topics, it allows us to talk about heavy things and um, allows me to help them be safe and make wise decisions and to talk about um, intimate things in a way that is comfortable and it's applicable to what's happening in their life. So I think the biggest and, and most important thing you can do is to keep those doors of communication open with your kids and to not be afraid to plunge into difficult conversations. Um, a couple other things you can do, um, you can decide, hey, we're not gonna give our kids um, cell phones or smartphones, not cell phones, but smartphones um, before the age of 10. Um, I would say my kids are, like I said, my 17 year old still doesn't have a smartphone. So we're, um, we're a stricter on that, but certainly before the age of 10, I would say even before the age of 13, a kid doesn't need a smartphone. Um, they don't need unsupervised and unlimited access to the internet. And even when you have teens, you need to be really cautious about what you're allowing them to explore online. And, um, I think you can talk about things like the safety of social media. How do kids really need social media accounts? Are they gonna be happier without it? You can choose to be different than what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. And um, you can choose to fit, to make choices for your family that are safest for your family, not based on what everybody else is doing. Yeah, I love that. And Greta, that's really what my podcast is all about is making different choices that kind of go against the grain for your family. And I love how you asked, you know, are your kids going to be happier with social media? And my answer is no, they Amen. will not be, you know, I, I wish that I didn't have to have a social media account. And unfortunately I do because most of my business is done on social media. And so it's great for that. And there's so many positives with it. But honestly, I look back to when I was a kid and I mean, I, there was some social media when I was a kid, like MySpace and Facebook was around like when I was in high school. Um, mm -hmm. But before then, I mean, I wasn't addicted to my, to a screen. I wasn't yeah. constantly feeling like I need to check in with people and tell people what's going on in my day. And I think that that is so important to remember that kids and teenagers really don't need social media and they don't need just a reason to, to look at their phone. And it is yeah. addictive, just like pornography yeah. is addictive. Social media yeah. is also addictive. Yeah. Um, so I love that you brought that up because I think, yeah. I think that's so huge is, um, just allowing your children to grow up mostly screen free. Of course, yeah. screens are maybe going to be necessary sometimes for some families yeah. and that's fine, but unlimited access is probably never, going to benefit no, a child or not, a teenager. No. Yeah. I think just being, being brave enough to be different and to say our family is going to walk a path that is best for our overall health. I mean, if you approach parenting, like how does it impact us physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually? Um, and let's make the choices that are best for us in all those areas that's going to really have um, a long-term positive benefit on your family. And um, 
it's okay to be different. In fact, mm -hmm. I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I agree. And I think most people listening also feel that way. So Greta, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. This is such an important conversation. I'm so grateful for you that you are opening the doors to this conversation um, and sharing your wisdom with people. Would you mind just leaving us with telling us how we can find you um, and what resources you have available? Yeah, of course. The, the place where I'm most active is on Instagram and uh, I have two highlights there called Fight Porn. Um, you can check those out for links to books that I recommend, book reviews, podcasts like this one, um, and websites, just so much stuff to help you in this journey. And my handle is Ma and Pa Modern, or you could just search Greta Eskridge and you'll find me there. I also have a website, GretaEskridge.com, and I have articles that I've written and um, about pornography, about protecting your kids from it about connecting with your kids. You can find um, info about my book there. So those are the two places that are best to find me. Great. And I will link that information in the description, the podcast description as well. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Greta. Thanks for having me. It was really a delight to talk to you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one -one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor Kulik. I hope you'll join me next time.